Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up, and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hello, and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. It's producer Harry here. So it's very rare we have the same guest on our show more than once, and we're breaking that tradition to bring back J.P. Sears. So for those of you who don't know who J.P. Sears is, He is a spiritual life coach, stand-up comedian, and internet sensation. So he has over 1 million YouTube uh, subscribers. He produces a lot of comedy on his channel. Also has hundreds of thousands of other uh, followers on his other social media platforms. So he's most known for his tongue-in-cheek viral videos, very satire, dry humor. Uh, You've probably seen his videos on Facebook, on YouTube, you know, So some of his videos are on veganism, spirituality, and all sorts of things like that. And his videos go crazy viral. Now in this interview, uh, JP and Rob talk about a whole manner of things. Something I really found interesting was JP really opens up about uh, entrepreneurship and business and just overall making money compared to the last interview we did with him. But there's a whole depth of conversations. We go all over the place. JP describes Bill Gates as the Antichrist. He talks about Black Lives Matter. It goes into some real deep places, this interview, and I really enjoyed it. So if you haven't listened to the first interview with JP, go listen to that after this. But final thing from me, when you go onto YouTube and you're searching for JP Sears videos, just before you do that, head to Rob Moore on YouTube and subscribe. We produce a whole load of content on that YouTube channel, including the video of this very interview with JP. So head over to YouTube, Rob Moore, and subscribe. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Hi, it's Rob Moore here, and I am with Internet Sensation, Internet Sensation, JP Sears. JP, thanks for coming on the show. Rob, thank you. And thank you for upgrading me to Sensation. That beats Jerk, uh, or whatever my wife likes to call me. So sensation. This sensation is grateful to be here with you, Rob. Right. Actually, um, JP, if I look at what you do, whether it's your own web presence or other people speaking about you, this fascinates me. So you're described as a life coach in some places. Um, Wikipedia, so it must be a fact. Um, An emotional healing coach. Uh, a parody comedian, a YouTuber, an author, a speaker, a world traveler, and I've just bigged you up as an internet sensation. But how would you describe your vocation, JP? Uh, that's a good question. I'm glad I get a say in the matter. It's nice Wikipedia allows that. It almost feels like too much free speech to me. <laughs> I describe my vocation uh, in two words, a conscious comedian. You know, it, my, I feel like my mission is to help people grow, heal, and awaken through conscious comedy. So that's what I'm out to do. And that takes different forms. It might be 
videos or it is videos, stage comedy, stand up, writing books, uh, podcasting. But you know, at end of the day, helping people grow, heal, and awaken so they can be the steward of their own heart and let life live through them the way it wants to, the way their soul is intended to. That's that's my greatest joy. Love it. And how is conscious comedy different from whatever standard comedy is? Oh, it's more pretentious. It's my <laughs> way of saying, like, hey man, I'm a lot more conscious than those other guys. <laughs> so man so pretentiousness is probably one of the differences i do think that terms pretentious yet it feels true to me so i'm i'm just owning it but yeah for me conscious comedy what di- well, the distinction is my greater intention with it is to help people grow and wake up to their power um and obviously, laughing their way into that is is how we're doing it. And uh, non-conscious comedy, which I'm a big fan, it it gives people laughs. It gives people a sense of connection. And there is nothing wrong with that. There's actually everything right with that. But conscious comedy, I think, just has the seed of self-growth at its intention. And do you think about the direction your brand is going? Because... I think it is fair to say you've blown up on the internet. You know, your videos get millions of views. um, And even here in the UK now, most people I speak to know you very well. So do you have a consciousness of where you're taking your brand or are you just like enjoying the journey of letting it grow itself? I'm enjoying the journey of letting it grow itself. And and that's not me sitting here saying, I don't care. That's more me saying, oh, I care so much. I don't want my mind to interfere. And getting a little philosophical with you here, Rob, and thank you for taking a sip of water. You're going to be need to be well hydrated for this philosophy coming at you. <laughs> you know, I, I think sometimes my plans come from a more limited consciousness Sometimes my plans, what I think should happen, what I want to happen, it can be quite ego-based. It can be based on my shoulds and my expectations that I've gathered throughout life, childhood, teenagehood, being a young man and having this story of who and what do I need to be in order to be worthy as a human. And, And that level of consciousness in me isn't very great. It's kind of sleepy. It's a part of me, yet I don't want my life trajectory to come from that. So I find when I Forrest Gump my way along, things work out way better than I could plan. And by Forrest Gumping my way along, what that means is in the moment, I'm connected to my values and I, I, you know, I, I say yes to doing things, new things, old things, expand things, but I say yes and take a step forward when it feels right. And how it feels right is it inspires me. It feels purposeful. And it usually scares me. Um, it, and when I do that, I, I think the, the for, the Forrest Gump wisdom, you know, Forrest Gump was a guy who was literally too stupid to plan stuff. He had such a low IQ. Now, you know what? I can relate to him. (laughs) So, in the movie was Forrest Gump because he was too dumb to plan. All he could do was follow his heart. 
that's the beauty. And the more he followed his heart, the more things worked out for him. He became a war hero, a football star, a ping pong star, multimillionaire businessman, had a child with that no good Jenny. I think Forrest could have done better, but his heart led him to. So for me, I, I don't know where I'm going, but I know how to get there. And I, I get there by following my heart. I'm not perfect at it, but my, my heart knows the next one step ahead. It doesn't know what 10 steps ahead look like. Mm. So there's a lot of people in business, and I see this talking about, how, you know, you should have plans. I think in um, much Eastern philosophy, companies have 25-year business plans. Mm. Um, and what I'm hearing from you is, you know, less planning and more following heart or intuition. Um, do you think you need to let go of fear to be able to trust your heart or your intuition? And do you think it's maybe fear that makes us need to overly plan things? And how have you yeah. almost surrendered or let go of that fear to accept Hey, look, I'm going to be successful, but I'm not going to be overly planning it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we need to let go of fear. I think we need to let go of avoiding fear. I, I think the true warrior in life, in business, in creativity, in whatever your thing is, the true warrior isn't the one without fear. That's a sociopath. Or it's someone who's living such a safe, sheltered, protective life that they never let themselves feel the fear that's available. But the true warrior is the one who does things that scare them. But the key is they do them anyway. The yeah. true warrior is the one that has the biggest tolerance for fear. They can look fearless. When you look at the people we admire the most and be like, do they do it with such ease? They have no fear. No, they, they have very little avoidance of fear. They go in to do the thing that they're afraid of. You know, whether it's Laird Hamilton, the big wave surfer, surfing a 90-foot wave, talks about like, I have a lot of fear. I just do things that scare me. So personally, I believe the formula for expansion is do something that scares you that simultaneously feels purposeful. Yep. By contrast, like get into a cage with a tiger. Okay, that's scary, but it doesn't feel purposeful. Mm. Unless Joe Exotic's in there and we're filming an episode <laughs> of Rednecks Monthly. But the idea, you know, I, I think back to myself when I started stand-up comedy, like, oh, that, that scares me, like 10 out of 10. And in that whole cave of fear, there was a drop of inspiration where it's like the inspiration was in my heart. Like, yeah, this feels purposeful. Oh, I wish it, I wish it didn't because it's so scary. So I think when we do things that scare us, that expands us out of our comfort zone, you know, fear and your comfort zone don't go together. Fears on the other side, expansion is on the other side. So, you know, I'm a big fan of myself and encouraging people do things that scare you. Mm. You know, there, there's a, I live in Austin, Texas, and there's a pedestrian bridge that people walk over this Creek and it's about 25 feet high. So um, I, I think that's seven and a half meters, maybe eight meters. And last year I started jumping off it, but this year is like, well, that's not scary enough. So now I got to backflip off it. 
And, <laughs> and the goal isn't let's do a backflip. The goal is let's do something that scares me. It's pretty meaningless off a bridge, but just like how an athlete's working out in the gym is meaningless, but the meaningfulness of it is the carryover you get into the playing field of life, business, family, the things that matter. Because when we train ourselves to do scary stuff, then we can do the scary stuff much more easily when it counts the most. Anyway, it's just my dogma. I might just be a sociopathic idiot, be like, you be scared, it's good for you. <laughs> Terrorize yourself. But that's how I look at it. And you talk about purpose a lot in there, JP. So is purpose something you've defined clearly? Because it sounded like there was something articulated clearly at the start of our discussion. Or again, is purpose something you're just feeling through? Yeah, man, that's a I love your question, and I'm, I'll be curious your answer to it, Rob. M- my delusional take on that wise question is purpose is primarily a feeling. You know, much, much like probably a lot of people listening, I've got a purpose statement, a mission statement, which is intellectual words on something, and that's meaningful. Yet I think true purpose, it's it's beyond the mental concept. It's a feeling. And, you know, that feeling when it, when I get it registered, it's a sense of fulfillment. It's like that thing that money can't buy, status can't give you. Nobody can give it to you. You earn it by well, typically you're doing something that scares you, that feels meaningful, feels purposeful. Usually people don't find the well of purpose within their comfort zone. Yet, yeah, for me, it's it's that intangible sense of uh, fulfillment. And dare I say, you know, a little spiritual on you, but dare I say, there is also for me a sense of connection to something beyond me. Whatever that is, it might be Santa Claus, but whatever that sense of connection to something beyond me is, that seems to be a um, part of the texture of purpose. But you know, it's one man's point of view, and there's this other beautiful man with this red beard. I'm curious, <laughs> what's your relationship with purpose, and how would you define it? Hi, it's Rob here, interrupting you with something you may not know about me. I was one of the few people on the planet hand-selected by Facebook to pilot their new supporter program. It's a very small premium model where you can get exclusive content and advance notice or discount of new products and services. So this is what I've done for you. Not only can you get best discounts, for any training that we might run. Not only do you get notified first of any launches we do, we also do supporter meetups, supporter dinners, supporter WhatsApp groups where you have a a deeper community. I do supporter only ask me anythings. I do supporter only content and podcasts. We have a community of 2,500 supporters and I'd love to give you the chance to be one of those. I believe this is the best supporter program in the whole world. Find me a better one, but I don't think you will. 
So the link is bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R. That's bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R. I believe the gap between free content and paid content is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's a lot of free content out there that's maybe not that good. And for just a few dollars a month, you can get the best content on business, on entrepreneurship, on starting up, on scaling up, on sales, on marketing, on the mindset of being an entrepreneur. So go to bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R right now. I wonder if you're more in tune with your feelings and intuition than me. Significantly Um, so, Rob. I was just waiting for you to acknowledge it. (laughs) So I I sometimes think that people maybe at the start of their entrepreneurial journey or figuring out their way, maybe they they don't yet know how to trust their feelings. Mm. And, And I'm quite an emotional guy and I tend to be a bit up and down and get really excited and then a bit lost and bored and frustrated and I've learned that myself and a lot of my clients sometimes our emotions trick us a little bit so I think there's one area where it's learning to read your emotions and really tune into them and understand what the 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 deeper feelings are like happiness versus fulfillment that's a huge difference in emotions but I think some people get that confused um contentment versus fulfillment I think that's I think they're different so I've um, spent a few years trying to de- define in a very short statement. So, you know, my personal vision to, is to help as many people uh, on the planet get a better financial education and to start and scale their businesses. Um, and with my foundation, especially young and underprivileged entrepreneurs. And it took me probably 10 years of buying loads of property and becoming a millionaire in my late 20s, early 30s and ticking off all my own goals before I could really move into something a, a much higher purpose. Hmm. So actually articulating in the statement helped me. And I think it was as much the journey to getting it articulated in a statement. Yeah. Um, and whilst you said it's not really a statement, I think at the start of this interview, people should go back and watch the replay, having been here, because I think you were very clear when I asked you about your brand and how you want to be known yeah. and a conscious comedian. Conscious yeah. comedian, to me, there's a thousand words in those two words. Yeah. And I thought it was really powerfully articulated. So yeah. again, I don't necessarily think I'm right, but I needed the journey to articulate it in a, a statement that, you know, if I want to raise millions for my foundation to help people across the world, you know, in underprivileged positions, start an enterprise and get financial education, I think I've got to be able to say it in that mission statement. And man, I I think that's so well said. The journey of finding what the those words are, and then those words themselves, hell yeah, they they become the north star to calibrate the compass of our heart and our feelings into. So, yeah, I one hundred percent agree that the, the statement is powerful. I think it, the Zen people might say, "I'm going to put words in their mouth because they don't say much." I think the Zen people might say. Like the mission statement, it's like the finger pointing to the moon. The finger isn't the moon, but it shows you the way. And and it's like the words, man, they're so important. They help show us the way. Hi, it's Rob. Quick interruption here to make sure you like this video and you subscribe to the channel. We are upping our content game, bringing you the most disruptive interviewees and guests and content and not just the people who do the usual circuit. So make sure you like, subscribe and now let's get back to the interview. I love entrepreneurship 
And I, I think I've got a more holistic definition than, you know, maybe capitalists have of entrepreneurship. Would you regard yourself as an entrepreneur or a disruptive entrepreneur? Or how do you view the way you run the commercial side of your business? Because, you know, we've all got commercial realities. Um, you're expecting a young one and he's going to cost you shitloads of money. <laughs> and he needs to be fed and paid for. So yeah. there's always the commercial reality as well as the spiritual outcome. So just how do you view all that? Yeah, man, you know, I, I, I would consider myself like in this realm, like I have two identities. My primary identity is an entertainer, you know, conscious comedian, but let's just call that an entertainer to be simple. And then my second identity, which isn't like what lights me up, but it's freaking important to let the first one happen. The second one is I'm an entrepreneur. You know, uh, for example, when I'm going to a city to do comedy shows, usually the comedy club will book an opening comedian. They'll do 15, 20 minutes. Then I'll go on stage and do an hour. Sometimes these opening comedians are world-class, but you and I have never heard of them and will probably continue not hearing of them. I become their biggest fan, but they're the entertainer without their entrepreneur. They haven't built the following. They haven't taken the unapologetic self-responsibility to take their destiny in their own hands by putting the business systems in place, email list, following uh, all the things that are necessary to support the growth of the entertainer. And, and yeah, so stumbled my way into realizing, you know, a number of years ago, even though my heart and soul isn't fulfilled being an entrepreneur, it so supports what does fulfill my heart and soul. So I think that's my long way of saying, yeah, a very much, you know, entrepreneurship. It's absolutely a part of me. And it, without it, I wouldn't be able to make a living doing what fills me up. Mm. And if I could look a bit behind the scenes, and mm -hmm. I'm taking a read here because I don't know your full affairs, but. I, I'm just going to assume you get paid for your comedy shows. Uh, you've got, uh, you run ads on some of your channels, I see. Um, obviously, there's the coaching element to your business. So that looks like three independent income streams. So are, are you intentionally building income streams? Um, because I personally believe, like now, obviously, lockdown, quarantine, coronavirus, if you had one income stream, uh, that could have been over. You could yeah. you could be one of the maybe <laughs> increasing number of people who are unemployed, yeah. uh, and you know then you can't fulfill your heart's mission. And um, you know, great art, I believe, is also great business, or great business is great art. I think yeah. that was what Warhol said. So, are you intentionally doing that? And do you think that's important? Yeah, I think it's very important. And now I'm intentionally doing it. Uh, last December, before the world fell off its axis, I was at Tony Robbins' Date with Destiny event. And during the event, during one of the exercises, it was such a powerful event. I, I couldn't say enough about it. Uh, during one of the exercises, I realized I am not diversified enough in my business. You know, my income, it's too dependent on the live comedy shows. 
Now, I don't want to make that income smaller. I want that to keep growing. But all the other buckets and the need for new buckets, that's in place because, you know, comedy clubs booking me, that is so outside of my control. Now, I'd, I'd never even dreamed of a pandemic would shut down comedy shows for God knows how long. So I, I had a fire lit under my butt there. So luckily, I had a, a several month head start. Wasn't ideal. Ideal would have been probably years, but um, things were put in motion. So yeah, you know now, you know my income buckets. If let's if I can remember them, um, you know live stand up comedy shows. Um, the YouTube income, it's, it, it's now become something that, okay, you know, that's, that counts for something. Um, I've got a, a t-shirt line. I've got, um, a very limited amount of coaching uh, that I do. Um, up until recently, I had a membership community and, oh, and then a, another very important bucket that I created. Uh, right as the quarantine began, because how many shows are going away? What are we going to do? Um, sponsorship for videos. So taking the podcasting model of this episode is sponsored by whatever company. And then after the um, video, there's basically a commercial for the uh, sponsoring product, which is such a great service to them. They get millions of eyeballs on their thing. And it supports me earning more income uh, with my videos. So uh, those there, there might be an, another odd thing or two, but for the most part, that's, yeah, those are the buckets I have in place. And, and there's some additional ones that I'm going to want to put in place as well. Mm. I think I noticed, cause I've, I follow you in, intently JP and I watch your content. Um, I think I noticed two other things, correct me. If I'm wrong, but I think you launched a paid for premium channel. Um, I think you launched like a, you know, a, yeah, a premium, um, content platform. And also if I, cause I have this as well, and there's only a few of us in the world that have this, but I think you can get star donations on Facebook. I think I watch your videos yeah. and I can donate stars to you. So there looks like there's two more possible ones that could grow there. Indeed. Yeah. And, and the premium channel, that's uh, that's what I mentioned, was my membership community. Ah. I let that go. It's just like, oh, that was great for a couple of years. But my heart just wants that to, I want to take that bandwidth and put it into additional things. So I let that go. But yeah, yeah. you know, the Facebook now being monetized both with the stars and, and I'm able to monetize videos. It looks like soon IGTV will be able to monetize. So, you know... I don't think anybody wants to just be a lazy idiot and say like, I'll just earn ad revenue from these three platforms and that's all I'll do. It's like, but no, it's just a nice bonus that um, some income gets to come in through those avenues that I'd be doing anyway. Mm. Do you think there's a, a little bit of a, I mean, you would know that maybe the wider community better than me, but um, I wrote a book called Money. Uh, and well, well, what's it about, Rob? Yeah, it's, it's a bit vague. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and sort of talked about the the paradox of this, you know, spirit versus matter, and and, and um, you know, the spiritual side of money. Uh, and do you think maybe to those people who are quite uh, spiritual, 
maybe they don't embrace enough the, the spiritual side of money. For example, if you're an artist or you're a, a videographer, well, if you earn good money, you can create canvases, you can travel the world seeing the most beautiful places to paint, you can buy the best camera equipment, etc. Um, is there a bit in the spiritual world, I hate to say spiritual world because that's obviously a generalization, but is there a bit of anti-money in there? You know, a, a, a bit. And, and I would say it's the unspiritual part of the spiritual world that's anti-money. I, I think it's a shame-based lingo that, that gets expressed through a spiritual terminology. So those people don't have to address their shame and unworthiness that believes that they're unworthy of money. I could never do that. So they make up a convenient story of, you know, money's bad, you know, in, insert the, the line that we've all heard. Um, and, and I think shame is a, an emotion of disconnection, but I think spirituality is an experience of connection. So yeah, money is bad is to me, that's the, the unspiritual part of the spiritual world. And, you know, from there, once we clear that blockage, then you can be authentic with money. You know, some people, if they're following the path of their heart and spirit, they're going to be earning tens of millions of dollars or more. Some people following their heart are going to be earning $50,000, some quarter million. So, but so I have zero attachment to what level of income sh someone should be at. But mm -hmm. I think taking the chains off of using spiritual vocabulary to rationalize a shame-based psychological pattern is probably a good idea. Yeah, great. We were in about, about question one or two on my, on my list and something jumped out at me and I'm going to move back to it. And I'm fascinated on your take on, on one stream, extreme, manifestation, law of attraction. On the other extreme, you know, the hustle, the grind, both of which there's a parallel dialogue, especially coming out of America, where a lot of the content seems to come from. So how much should we be meditating and manifesting and attracting? And how much should we be doing the graft? Um, how much should we control? How much should we let go? Do you have a barometer on that? Yeah, I do. And keep in mind, I'm an idiot. So uh, here's a barometer from a blue-eyed idiot. I think the balance is in the space in between. I think anytime you look at the extreme, let's say the extreme of manifestation, and we're like, hey, Rob, I don't need to go out and make anything happen because can you see my vision board? I, I drew it on there and I cut pictures up from a magazine. So I'm going to look at this for a while and I'll probably say some affirmations and then it'll manifest. So could you clear some space over there? So my Ferrari can fit in the room. So that <laughs> we, we all know like how well is that going to work? But then the other extreme is maybe very much disconnecting from visualizing possibilities, visualizing patterns energy and abundance that is unfamiliar to us. But I know, like, for instance, I mentioned earlier when I was doing the backflip off the bridge for the first time and, you know, since learned other flips, I visualized them before they happen. Now that doesn't do it for me, but it helps make the unfamiliar a little bit more familiar. 
So when I go there to do the thing I've never done before, there's a little bit of familiarity there somehow supporting me. And I, I think as it is with our level of abundance and, and whatever we want to attract in life. So, you know, I think the visualization is helpful. We, we could be the disconnected entrepreneur that just does the 24-7 grind. And we might be operating with a lot less potency if we got our mind and heart involved and our mm -hmm. curiosity involved. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think both are pretty damn important. Mm -hmm. And But man, you know, the law of attraction, uh, law of action. We definitely need some action here, everybody. When and how did you find out you were funny? Oh, man. When I was a kid, Rob, can you relate to that? Did you have a childhood? Just about. Cool. Just, I'm I'm just, I think I'm still living it, to be honest. Cool. I'm just trying to build rapport, make sure you know we have things in common. Uh, I also had a childhood just like you, Rob. So now you can trust me more. So, you know, when I was a, a kid, I realized I was funny. And, you know, everybody's funny. Everybody has a sense of humor, just like your sense of vision, sense of hearing, sense of humor. Yet, you know, some people, just like the eagle, might have better vision than other animals. Um, maybe my sense of humor is, you know, uh, a little bit more developed than some people's. So, you know, when I was a kid, the I have this memory. I would have been maybe 10 years old. And my family, we were staying at a friend's lake house. And I put this weird frisbee thing on my head and did this performance for my family. And they, they were just laughing their asses off for an extended period. Now, I knew I was funny before that. I always make my friends laugh in school and teachers laugh and family laugh. But like, I, I remember this instant for a reason. And I think it was impactful because seeing my mom and dad and sister just sitting there continuously laughing as I go on in this weird performance I was doing, um, that was very affirming. Seeing how they were seeing my funny helped me see my funny some more. Um, and by no means did I think like, okay, now I'll be a comedian. But that was one point of awareness. And, um, and, and there's been some other points. I, I remember also uh, when I was, the hell was I, 26, maybe? I, I think it was 25 or 26. I started teaching weekend health classes for a really awesome organization called the Czech Institute. Go in, teach three days of holistic health information, nutrition, stress reduction, sleep, cool stuff, but boring stuff, like so useful, but so boring, like especially after three days of lecture. So I would find myself just so effortlessly making the class laugh in order to keep their attention and give them a better learning experience, wake them up, get them out of their trance. So after a while teaching these classes and having a room full of people laughing whenever I wanted them to laugh, that was another point of awareness of like, oh, well, I'm funny. That's cool. But enough about you, Rob. Let's talk about me. Another point. <laughs> right. Let's change it up. 
I don't normally do this uh, on my interviews, discussions, JP, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to make a bit of extra effort with you because I think you're awesome. And I should actually say this is the second time you've been on my show and it's very rare we do seconds. Um, But we did a little bit of research. Well, a lot of research. I just want your take on this. So in one of your videos, which was 7th of February 2020, you said, in America, you get nothing but clickbait headlines about the coronavirus that inflict fear and stress onto you that which is questionably worse for your health than if you are infected with the virus. That fascinated me. And I wondered if you could talk about that. Yeah, man, uh, I believe that. Uh, I believe fear and stress cause significantly far more harm than the coronavirus. And I'm not, I'm not denying it, like coronavirus. It's a real thing yet. We're realizing the death rate is 22 to 45 times less than what they said it was going to be. So, and I, and I know uh, uh, people who have relatives that are, have been very affected by it. So I realize it's a serious thing. Fear and stress is a very serious thing as well. So, uh, one of the biggest acts of terrorism in my country is the news instilling fear and stress onto people. How is that not recognized as domestic terrorism? I don't know, yet it is. And I'm not talking about informing people. I love people to be informed. I'm talking about scaring people. And, and there is just no controversy that the media in our country, and I know other countries as well, do this. There's just no controversy about it. They do it. They know that fear creates clicks and they're willing to terrorize people for their ad revenue. I think that's a crime against humanity. Um, I I think it's poison. And uh, I I think people, you know, I don't want to victimize people here. Here's the self-responsibility people can take is Turn off the fear mongering. You know, I think people getting their news from the news is like getting financial advice from a broke person. Mm. Mm. So I'm really glad. I'm really glad we discussed this because 15 years ago, when I actually simultaneously got into personal development, because I have a like life where I didn't know what personal development was. And then I became a seminar junkie, which people say in England is a bad thing. But I think being a seminar junkie is better than being a heroin junkie. <laughs> I'm proud to be a seminar junkie. You can tell me a seminar anytime if it means I could. You know, why is self-help frowned upon? What, what is wrong with that? Um, so 15 years ago, I got into this world. Actually, really random, but a friend of mine who was renting a room in my house because I, was, I couldn't afford the mortgage. I had to rent out one of my two small rooms. He was clearing out as he was moving out and he found a big set of CDs under his bed. And he said, oh, Rob, I bought these. I never listened to them. Do you want them? And I thought they were like a singer-songwriter, Jack Johnson. And it was a guy called Tony Robbins. And I thought he'll be a singer-songwriter playing the guitar. And of course, his big voice came out of of my system. And over my my initial, whoa, what is this? I was hooked. I've been hooked for 15 years on, on personal development. And simultaneously, I decided to stop watching the news. Mm. Um, and p- people say, but you can't get informed about what's going on. Yeah, you can. You can ask someone who's just watched the news and you can get them to inform you on what happened. How do you know what's true anyway? And I have two or three people around me who 
do are able to filter the news and do generally tend to get either balanced advice or they, they go to reputable sources. And I just need a little five minute summary from them. And I know what's going on in the world. And then I've got no fear, you know, no like doom mongering. No, the world is going to end. Everything is going to be over. And then I can take control of my own life and be responsible. And then you control your own Facebook feed and you make sure you block or unfriend or don't see certain things that are pushed in your way. I have to say my life is infinitely better because of that. I believe that. So 15 years. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I've been, I've lived without TV for, man, well, 15 or 16 years. It's been since 2004. And, and like, I'll I'll watch Netflix, things of my choice. But as far as like the normal TV that comes on where you've got the evening news and living without that for the past 15, 16 years, like it's it's the best mental cleanse you get more of you back it it's just uh essential i don't know how someone can keep their sanity and peace of mind routinely watching what is the latest death count and like here is the covid cases spiking and we're not telling you they're spiking because we're just simply testing more and most of these people are asymptomatic and the death rate's actually lower but look how they're spiking Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Does, it, right. Another so one. Does, help, does yeah. it help my quality of life or does it worsen my quality of life? An yeah. idiot would say it hurts my quality of life. I'm going to keep doing it. Maybe a, a person with acting from their wisdom would say, oh, that hurts my quality of life. I'm going back up. Mm. Mm. In another one of your videos, JP, um, you said Bill Gates is the Antichrist. <laughs> Sounds like somebody said. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to slip that one in there. Was, were you just messing around there, or do you secretly think he is? You know, I don't even know what the term Antichrist means, but I'll tell you this. Um, I don't trust the guy. Uh, I, I think they say money can't buy happiness. Cool. Well, money can buy your trust in Bill Gates, the, at least in the U.S., and I think he's trying to get the world to look at him as the trusted health authority, uh, primarily through vaccines. The guy's a computer programmer. Now, Rob, you have a couple of kids. When they've been sick, do you take them to the doctor or do you take them to a computer programmer? <laughs> Is that rhetorical, that question? <laughs> yeah, it's a dumb enough question. It is rhetorical. Of, what, of course, we wouldn't take our sick children to a computer programmer, yet we are mindlessly putting our, uh, I would dare say, too much blind faith in a computer programmer. He is not a doctor. He had, doesn't have a degree in anything. And mind you, this is a computer programmer who is so untrustworthy that the U.S. government filed an antitrust lawsuit against him in 1999 for breaking uh, antitrust laws at Microsoft. Then just, by the way, he was found guilty. So that how untrustworthy do you have to be to have a country sue you? 
Then the very next year in 2000, he he founds the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, this altruistic thing to help the world. What happened to Bill in that year? Did he find Jesus? Did he really change his ways of being so uh, greedy if that's, uh, that the U.S. government had to sue him? Or did he just, is he smart enough to realize with whatever he's trying to do, he can't do it in the vehicle of Microsoft, so he created an altruistic painted vehicle to do it? I don't know. I truly don't know. But I think it's ridiculous not to be curious about this dude with a, a very untrustworthy history. Mm. Mm. I know it's not popular to question our friend Willie Gates. It, 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 it literally can get you censored on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, that's how <laughs> that's how trustworthy Bill is. You can't say anything <laughs> negative about him or else he's going to get you censored. <laughs> Right, let's slide away from that one then. <laughs> oh, let's get both of us cancelled, Rob. I want Sorry? both of us. Let's get both of us cancelled. Let's get both of us deplatformed. I've okay. never had that happen to me before, so don't take me down with you, please. <laughs> I need to take my medication. <laughs> so, one more, and then we'll do quick fire because I know you've got to be done by the hour, and I want to respect that, JP. So. Um, one more and then we'll just um we'll move into what we call the quick fire round so um you've been vocal on your feelings of the black lives matter movement uh but many of your followers don't seem to share the same opinions as feelings as you um so has that affected you do you get affected by criticism how do you push away resistance um especially in such an emotive subject yeah. You know, it, it strengthened me. Um, you know, you know, my view in the U S like there's, there's systemic racism. There is police brutality against black people. There's police brutality against white people and other ethnicities, but man, it's a, it's a unshakable problem with the black community. And, uh, of course I have a platform. So, uh, we're in a time of awakening. I want to do, whatever little thing I can to help the cause. And, you know, in perspective, so many of my followers are just like, yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you for helping support this. And the usually the minority is screaming the loudest. And so when I see people um, getting angry at me for supporting Black Lives Matter or putting out a video about police brutality, that strengthens me. It really does. Their disapproval is a little uncomfortable for me. Yet, just like jumping off a bridge, I find more strength because it's uncomfortable. Um, the last thing I want to be is a, a weak water bag of a human who finds my authentic voice. And then a few people disapprove. I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, sorry. Ever again. Ever again. I'm sorry. I will. Mm share what I have to say. So uh, I, I want to be as much of a leader as I can. Yeah. And, and that means saying what I have to say and being absolutely fine with when people disagree. And to be honest with you, 
I wouldn't need to say what I have to say if everybody agreed. That, that, to, from my point of view, that's why it's still a massive problem in our country because people don't acknowledge a problem. So you shine the light of awareness on what I see as the problem. Of course, there's going to be disagreement. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to just preach to the choir. I'm, I'm trying to preach to people who are not in the choir. Mm. This metaphor of the choir that's gone off the rails. And when you say there's some discomfort there, um, does sometimes some of the comments get through a bit or does sometimes it wobble you behind the scenes or does it make you think what you put out? Because I must admit, I a really good friend of mine who um, has got a she supported me by interviewing me on Black Lives Matter because I'll be completely transparent that I was really nervous about commenting on it. Sure. Um, reason number one is, what do I know? Number two is, there's a lot of people jumping on all of these trending hashtags for gimmick, gimmickery, you know, yeah. for newsjacking. And I... A, I don't know anything about it. I'm, you know, 40-year-old privileged white male. B, I, you know, I, I don't want to be seen to just jumping on a bandwagon, which I did yeah. see a few people doing. Yeah. And to be honest, that, that got me into a bit of fear. Um, but in the end, my friend said, look, you know, I'm, yes, I'm white, but she's basically been raised by black people and, you know, she's, she's white, but she might as well be black. Um, and, and, and she pushed me and she interviewed me and we had a discussion. And I, I was just said, look, I, I don't know a huge amount, but I'm trying to learn and I'm trying to also use my platform for good. Um, but I was scared at first. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Same. You know, I had, did, did you happen to see the video I put out called um, Police Brutality Training? No. Well, I saw it, but I didn't watch the whole thing. Okay. So, you know, the, I would say it's a very potent video. A um, couple of days before I put the video out, I was writing it and I'm, I had this, I, I was scared. I like, are people just going to think I'm like virtue signaling and trying to get attention with this? And damn, I, like I'm a white guy. Like, what do I know? Is it better for me to just shut the hell up and, you know, let the black leaders talk about this? Um, so I got on the phone with a, he's a dear friend of mine. He's a black man, sharp as hell. It, I mean, he is a true leader. And I said, you know, Preston, uh, here's this video I want to do. Like, I, I'm a white guy. I've got my blind spots. What do you think? He's like, bro, you got to do this video. And, and he, his words were so supportive. He said, the best thing you can do for the black community is talk to your audience. He said, JP, your audience follows you. Most of them don't follow me. So you know, and, you know, my audience happens, I don't know the numbers, but a lot of white people in my audience, he said, they're paying attention to you. So you can help us in the black community by talking with them. He said, will some white people think you're virtue signaling? He said, yes, they will. But the way you can help us is to tolerate that and talk to them. Mm. That lit a fire under my ass. I, like that, I needed his perspective as a yeah. black man, and then off and running. And you know, I put out a video last night called 
what systemic racism in in it i I go through about white Jesus and how that's a, a piece of systemic racism, how people who believe in Jesus have, in the white community have racially rejected their very Lord and Savior based on the color of his brown skin. They've done the opposite of blackface and they've white-faced Jesus. And um, uh, shortly after the video went out, I don't really read the comments. I don't find it a very empowering endeavor, but I saw a comment. And it was something about this guy's not funny. He's just virtue signaling. I felt that because that was one of my original fears. I don't want to just come across like I'm doing this for social credit points, virtue signaling. And I, and I loved that. I felt that little sting and feeling that sting and then just plowing forward anyway to me, that strengthens the warrior in all of us. Like, yeah, oh, I felt that battle wound. And you know what? I'm going to drive myself even deeper into the battle. Because that, that's what I'm called to do. Yeah. Um, so anyway, a few thoughts on your wise question, brother. Thank you, JP. Lovely. Uh, right. So we have got about seven minutes. And we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight um, power questions. So you can do them as short as you like, just so that you can be done on time. When was the last time you had a haircut? Mm. Good God, I think it was last summer. Ah, 1985 on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Many moons ago. What's the best advice you've ever received or that you can remember receiving? Yeah, don't take advice from other people. Trust your own intuition. Trust your own gut. Ironically, I, I took that advice. <laughs> What's the worst advice you ever received? You know, I, I don't know exactly how it would have came out of the people's mouth, but um, other people's approval matters. Worst advice, worst mindset, worst way to navigate life. Mm. What's one thing that you feel is really wrong with the world that you either are or if you could, you would change? Yeah, I, I think people displacing their personal authority outside of themselves, both getting their perspective of the world and waiting for permission from outside authorities, whether that's parents, spouses, governments, um, World Health Organization. It, it obviously we need some world order, but we're. Uh, I, I think we are living in a pretty disempowered place where people aren't owning their beautiful personal power. Hmm. On a lot of podcasts, there's this question that does the rounds, and I've reversed it to be disruptive. <laughs> It's so original. You're going to love this. Um, so a lot of podcasts ask, what advice would you give your younger self? Mm -hmm. So I've spun it around. What advice would you give your older self? Mm. Yeah, uh, keep living irresponsibly. Yeah. And I just want to share something. I've got a, a sign on my wall. It says irresponsibility is the way. I th a few months ago, I... It just did an introspective exercise. And I looked at all the great blessings in my life. 
every single one of them came into my life because I was being what my mind would judge to be as irresponsible. My wife, uh, moving to Austin, doing stand-up, doing videos, all came when I was being irresponsible relative to what my thinking thinks is irresponsible. So I'd tell older JP with poop in his pants, don't change your diaper. You keep being irresponsible. I want you to poop on the floor, older JP. Be irresponsible. Actually, I'm going to sw- switch the order of these around because I reckon you've probably to a certain degree defined a disruptive entrepreneur. So how would you define a disruptive entrepreneur? Yeah, honestly, I think someone who is incredibly in touch with their intuition, their heart, their, well, their internal personal power, and then they go about expressing in the world mm. as opposed to a mimicking entrepreneur. This is the way Gary Vaynerchuk does it. This is the way Rob Moore does it. We want to learn from all those, but we also want to be conscious of the miracle of our own self and letting that hooligan out. Mm. If there was one person on the planet that if they were on this podcast, you would stop what you're doing to listen to them, who would it be? I love that. Um, First person that comes to my mind is Dave Matthews. He's my all-time favorite musician. Okay. Maybe we might have to have some words. Get get old Dave on, Rob. Why not? (laughs) Right. JP, the next thing is all for you. Where should we follow you? I know you've got a great podcast. Obviously, you've got brilliant social channels. So tell us everywhere you're online so we can follow you everywhere and get a JP instead of the news. Well, I appreciate that, man. Well, I'm, yeah, all my socials, including YouTube, uh, my handles are Awaken with JP. And you can find the common mothership for all of it on my website, awakenwithjp.com. And your podcast is called? Awaken with JP Sears Show. Yeah, yeah how original. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this has been lovely again, JP. Thank you very much for being second time guest on the show. I just think you're fantastic. So thank you. Oh, for sure, Rob. Thank you for having me. You were just a gem of a person. I love our our talks, brother. Mm-hmm.